Hey, Printosos, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Bruce from Printavo. We've got a fun little one, Mr. Ferry and I hanging out. Um, yeah, just a cool riff. I don't know. There's some uh there's some always fun stuff that we talk about that um I need to be able to record my phone, but I don't know. Is that legal? Is that illegal? You can tell me you're recording. I actually downloaded oh yeah, for quality control some- purposes. You have to let me know this call is being <laughs> being recorded. For quality control purposes. That would be funny. Listen to Stephen and Bruce's phone conversations. Oh boy. <laughs> they um literally are just an extension of the podcast, except without the sponsors <laughs> at the top. Yeah, Speaking of which phone call. Wait, you guys know our four sponsors. You need to pick which one's first, like at the basketball game, where you're gonna see if it's the donut, the bagel, the coffee, uh, or what's a straw? I don't know. Gotta be something else. That's that's for. Oh, right. let's kick it off. If you super color, super color, you I'm win. Go ahead. Super color. Supercolor is the world's best heat transfer made by screen printers for screen printers. Supercolor understands firsthand the pressure and expectations of of the screen printing business. That's why they pride themselves on being super fast and super easy. We use super fast. So we use super fast in our shop. We use Supercolor in our shop every single day. Uh, They've helped us transition over to heat transfer and why we're so in love with it. Um, super color helps you make it experience them for yourself. Use promo code printabo 15 and get 15% off your order. Easy way. You shouldn't be spending all day cleaning dirty screens. Easy ways line of environmentally conscious chemicals will get the job done faster, more efficiently and cost you of the fraction per screen. Thanks. Easy way. Easy way. We use 742, 840, 7, 702, 841 in our shop. I don't know what we use. We use everything. All of our, all of our chemicals come from easy way. They're the easiest way. Bruce, have you heard of multi-craft daddy? Uh, no. Who's that? Uh, multi-craft underscore daddy. You need to go follow him on Instagram. I haven't checked how many followers he has recently, but if you need ink supplies or a daddy, Multi-Craft screen printing and digital supplies for over 50 years provides you with top brands at competitive prices Mention the Printavo podcast and receive an extra 10% off your order. Thanks, Dave, Multicraft team. We appreciate you. He's crossed over 400, by the way. Ooh. Pumping. GraphX Source. If you need a solution to improve efficiency and reduce costs in your art department, GraphX Source is what you want to choose. You know, um, I was going to read the rest of this blurb, but I think this is better. Um, I was just at the sports Inc conference and um, they have a, a lot of different team members that manage art currently and are faced with turnover, faced with retraining, are faced with wanting to be able to turn art around really fast and get it into production. And over and over and over, I mentioned Graphics Source is your solution to give it a go. Um, they handle mock-ups, creative art, order management, digitizing, uh, uh, separations, all of that in between. Mention the Printable Pod for fifty percent off your first order. Even to the point where I said you guys need to be at this show for the next one because <laughs> this is a group <laughs> that you can really be able to help. You know, Bruce texted me this morning. Goes, do you have anyone that can make this art? And my answer is, yeah, Graphic Source can do it. Just throw it in Printavo and they'll whip it up for you. So yes, I won't tell true. Nick and Lucas. Let's get back to the show, Bruce. What do we got today? All right. Um, okay. I got a bunch of topics that I want to go over. Um, first though, I was thinking about DTF and 
You know, it's funny. Somebody emailed me about a vendor that you picked from a previous podcast. I guess I could say it, Cobra Flex. But they said, hey, I watched it. I got it. Um, having some issues. Um, and it made me think about what's been going on, DTF, in your world. So, yeah. yeah. I'm, what I'm is very, <laughs> very vocal in the Cobra or in the, in the DTF community. Um, you know, I took a risk on a machine that didn't work out. Um, I think the technology is not there. We started that journey back in, call it October, I want to say. Um, and the reason we did that is because, you know, we're just heat transferring more. Uh, that's really what's happening in our business. So we went down that path. We got a machine. Um, it was a powderless unit. It was new technology. And I quickly learned the technology just isn't there yet. And so um, over the next 60 days, it was it was hell. Um, our team hated it. I lost employees over it. it. just wasn't working out. And so I decided to call that one quits. And um, I went with a different machine. So we went with the Mongoose from... Uh, actually, before that, we went with the Raptor from DTF Superstore. It was a four-headed unit. I believe it was made by Audley. And we got that machine. Um, it was a powder unit. So this is actually like dripping powder on the back of it. It's much bigger. Um, the transfer was incredible. Um, we absolutely love the transfer. How much was uh, that? One? That was actually less. It was like twenty seven thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars. And so we got that machine in. Um, I will say, like, you know, in an early adopter market, uh, support and customer service is a learning experience. And so I was on with them just as much, but solving different problems. The problems that we were trying to solve were like alignment issues. We couldn't get all four heads to line up consistently. And so we were getting like, basically like our registration wasn't working. Imagine the first time you're trying to like register a screen. We're trying to register four print heads. Just kept coming out of alignment. Um, And, you know, the support was okay, um, but you could quickly tell they were still learning as they went as well, right? And so um, the team at DTF Superstore decided it would be best if we actually switched to a two-headed unit. Um, there's less like variables. Uh, and so we actually went with that machine. It was, again, $10,000 less. So it was $17,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far, we absolutely love that machine. I'll put my seal of approval on it. We've been yeah. running it hard since February and I will endorse. I will endorse that machine. That being said, I've gotten so many calls, emails, and texts over the last month. And I don't know, Bruce. Let's talk through it. Like when you're buying a piece of equipment, what, what, what things do people not consider? Wait, wait real quick. What was that? So it's the two head. What's the name of it again? So people. It's called the mongoose. It's called the mongoose. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have issues, um, but I I caution everyone that I talk to about getting into DTF, right? Like one of the things I caution is you're going to need a full-time employee managing the machine. So call it $700 a week. As in running it, maintaining it. Machine cannot stop. Like they're dedicated to the, to, so something comes out, it's like, okay, hey, Jane. Yeah. For us, it's Jordan, right? And Jordan he, like he, he, that, that machine is his baby. And so like, I basically challenge him to learn everything about it. He's in the Facebook groups, asking questions, talking to tech support, cause still stuff comes up and mm-hmm. it drove me nuts to try and run it myself. It was just taking so much time of my day. So you have to dedicate 
Did you train them though? Like, did you learn it to train them or did you say, look, Jordan, this is, <laughs> this is on you to sort of figure out? Uh, both. I mean, I knew as much as I could. I'd worked with the Cobra Flex for a really long time, like for three months, right? Yeah. Um, I'd worked with the Raptor. So like by that time I know everything about rips and, but, but when I call them up, I'd be like, Hey, our color palette isn't hitting the right Pantones. We like, we're struggling to color match. And they would like be like, okay, did you turn the machine off and on? And I'm like, yeah, I turned the fucking machine on and off, right? Uh, and so then I started calling other shops. Actually, Connor at St. Louis Shirt Company, his team kind of helped us out with some of the settings. Hmm. Um, and we finally got our colors dialed in, right? Um, but there's things that went wrong, like switches on our, um, we've already had to replace switchers on our powder shaker unit. Right. We've already had to replace some sensors like things have gone wrong on it already. Um, and so there was like basically Jordan is like the technician on the machine. He knows everything about it. He talks to them all the time. Um, and again, these companies are brand new. They have brand new employees, brand new customer service people. They're taking their own risks. And, you know, uh, there's a lot that they're trying to figure out. Right. Um, so one key point to DTF, you're going to have a dedicated employee that's going to run it. It's not going to, you can't run it for like one day a week. So make sure you know that you have $700 of labor that you can dedicate a week to your DTF. That's, that's, and why, why can't you just run it like that? The heads clog or what what is it? Yeah. It's, it's water-based ink. So it needs to be running consistently. Um, it's a digital print hunt with water-based ink. Things are going to dry up. Um, and so like, if you make it one employee, like say you took someone that did purchasing and be like, Hey, run this DTF, they're going to despise it. Um, and, and I just, I've seen it happen in our shop. Um, and I've seen it happen. So so that's like the growth of the product that it sounds like, or maybe where it can go is it doesn't, you know, you could use it, uh, more sporadically. Cause like, unless somebody actually is using it every day, it sounds like it's just not the play. And maybe it isn't because it is 30 grand, um, of of equipment, let alone all the time. But you know, I, I guess what is interesting to think about is when is that crossover where you felt that it was worth it f- to balance out ordering from Supercolor and having one in house? Is it a volume thing or what? I made the mistake of I just looked at how much I was spending in transfers and not in labor, and that's something uh-huh. Rum Rum and I talk about a lot. Is there's labor, right? Uh-huh. And labor's call it, you know, $40,000 a year, right. Of just labor. Um, and you need technical labor, someone that understands digital printing, right. It's not just hitting a button, right. So they got to really lean into it. The other thing that we don't take into consideration is consumables. So you need ink and you need film, right? Well, there's shortages in the world right now. And the film that we've been getting has been pretty bad, right? We ordered eight rolls of film and films, a couple hundred bucks a roll. And we got to our last three rolls and all of them had issues with them. There was like, they were just, they weren't produced right. Right. And so I talked to DTF Superstore. I'm like, Hey guys, like this isn't okay. You can't ship 50% of your products to be accurate. Right. Like, and, and it was like a big deal. I was like, now we're out of production because we, we were banking on these last three rolls and they're like, well, you could overnight one. And I'm like, wait a second. I ordered eight rolls from you. I made it to roll five. And now the last three are all duds and you want me to overnight it. And I had a problem. I was like, that's, 
that's not that's not good business, right? Like you guys, I'll pay more for good quality, right? Mm-hmm. And so just in consumables and ink and film, you still have to be an early adopter there, right? And you know, the reason we're buying from distributors here in the United States is because we're trusting them to, you know, QC and, and double check these things before they send it to us, the end user. But really it's us and the distributors kind of battling through this together. Right. And I can't get mad at DTF Superstore for sending me bad film. It's just like they have pallets of film coming in. But what I can get a little ticked off about is, hey, like it's your job to make sure that we're running. And that's that's what I say is like some of these bigger distributors, you know, even if it's SNS or Sanmar or Multicraft, they always make sure your uptime is there. Right. Like they will go do whatever it takes. They will drive, you know, a gallon of emulsion 150 miles to make sure your presses don't stop. And I just don't think, you know, the DTF industry is there yet. So um, we use it every day. That being said, it's it's a big spend. It's a big undertaking. And so, you know, it's not a I'm going to just order transfers or use a DTF. It's an and conversation. Right. You have to be able to, like, order from everywhere. Right. So I feel pretty passionate about this. Sounds like it's the wild <laughs> west right now. From the yeah, outside, it's like, right? yeah, it does sound like it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, I mean, you know, no, no real established leader, right. Uh, as in like a brand leader, like a go-to, um, still working on getting support, still working on getting the, the kind of de facto product, still figuring out the process, um, nobody that you hire is going to know how to use it yet. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Um, speaking of NIL, actually, now that we're going through updates, can I, I don't have an update from you on how that's going. I was, you know, I, I see the posts of you signing up schools and, and different athletes. It's like, how is that going? And like, what's, what's the model? Like, it sounds like there's like college and then there's also, the athletes, right? And I'm assuming they run their stores and they have their own merch and you know their names and likeness and stuff um, and generate sales. But what's been going on there? Yeah, so what we're doing is, is building an influencer platform for college athletes, mm-hmm. right? To be able to sell both custom and licensed merchandise, right? And so a lot of what we're building is the technology to pay them out and, and the technology that we've built for our college students already we're basically transforming that and making that available to college athletes. Now there's like 160,000 D1 athletes. So there's a huge opportunity, but the the way that we're doing it, we say like the Campus Inc. way, is by doing it the right way, going to the universities, acquiring licenses, being able to sell jerseys and jerseys and actual licensed apparel. Um, and, you know, it's got its challenges, uh, its ups and downs, but these builds, like we just signed Indiana last week. And when people are listening to this, there's a couple other schools being announced. Like we have to onboard an entire university. <laughs> I've never done that before. Um, and so we have <laughs> to, to get a, make get sure. everybody on a Zoom or something? Yeah, we have to get all the athletes on a Zoom. We have to make sure all their creative is properly done. We have to make sure that the environment is built. We have to make sure the payouts are working right. Like the t-shirt is the last priority. Um, but all the tech that we're putting in front of it, that's probably like, and, and, and the success, right? Like you can't mess this up. Do you feel like you have the, I guess it's still early in that you, do you feel like you have the process yet or it's still very like 
every school or every athletes you tweaking a bit? Uh, we're, we're building a plane as we fly it <laughs> or trying to deploy our parachute as we're falling. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Love the but we, we've done it, uh, at, we've done it in the Greek system. So we run a lot of DDC brands for the fraternities right now. So the playbook like is written. Um, we have really good leaders in place, like really, really great leaders. Um, a couple, a couple of leaders that are from the industry that have, have helped out other companies in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we've got some amazing people now. It's just like the infrastructure and building something bigger than I can potentially put together. So I'm relying a lot on our sales coaches and our advisors on Mark, you know, um, just to make sure like this is a lot bigger than, than I imagine. And if we're going to do this correctly, uh, I can't just can't mess it up. <laughs> So, <laughs> also the Wild West. Also the Wild West, DTF and NIL. Um, a lot of very wild, wild West areas. Um, yeah. Do you see much competition in that space from other shops? Or is it still um, pretty not new? from other? Not from some people have tried. Like doing running influencer merch is not a is not a crazy playbook. Um, being able is to do the, more the from license. like the tech world because I I see what's interesting is people coming in from non-industry world uh like folks coming from typical tech or or vc funded world type jumping in and and just brokering everything up yeah i mean i have to think about it as a mindset of a company like bigger than a print shop Mm -hmm. right actually like we're currently raising money from investors um, Mm -hmm. if anyone wants to write us a check uh but you know, a lot of what I talk about is actually the detachment from the technology to the manufacturing. Um, and I was on a really cool call with uh, some of the Printful people and how there's Printful of the technology and then there's Printful of the fulfillment itself. Um, and they're two completely different beasts, right? Um, are we able gonna, are we going to be able to solve both now? Probably not. Um, and so we're, we're focusing on, on the tech. Um, and then, you know, obviously we have a lot of you know, connections in the printing industry that have been super helpful. So if something crazy happens, I've got, I've got people, um, that can print for us and help us out and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting play. You want to, you know, we brought up VC stuff. I, I mean, I have this topic written down here. Might as well jump in a little bit here. So there was a post <laughs> that came up, which was, uh, interesting of just getting everybody's opinion on venture capital online. And Thanks, Tom Rowan. <laughs> Tom posted it. I think it was a good question, right? Um, it hasn't really been discussed openly. There's a lot of opinions back and forth. I think, you know, on one side, you've got folks saying that it's not a fan as it just focuses on pure growth at all costs. Um, and by, uh, driving things forward, there's a couple examples. Now this is bigger on the, the much larger side, but like woot.com, I'm sure people remember you've got uh, custom ink, of course, uh, purchased by Amazon, um, uh, obviously campus Inc. and I'm sure a bunch of others that we are not aware of, um, M&R rock, you know, I mean, there's a lot that, that folks don't actually know about as well, but th- that, how outside money is coming in, let alone. And, and I think there's a thought of like VC is like this big, like guy in suits. There's also just investment dollars that people take. It could be family and friends. Um, 
It could be, I mean, on the lower end, there's there's like a scale of banks, and then it scales all the way up into a very rapid venture capital and, and traditional venture capital. So anyway. And Bruce, just just to put that out there, like, you know, Printavo was was acquired by private equity, right? But the, like everyone's like, oh, it's in our industry. You guys are a software company. You just so happen to service the printing industry, right? So like PE or VC could invest in a software company that helps mechanic shops out. You know, it's not like they saw t-shirt printing. This is, that was a pure software play, right? Yeah, yeah. I I think that um, it was interesting. There was, when we were talking about with a lot of firms to partner with, there was a lot of, companies actually watching this space very closely as it was felt that there's a lot of opportunity to really grow and accelerate this space that we haven't really been able to see before because it's a big industry, but it's not so big like a transportation or food or logistics or something that's like massive, massive billions and billions of, of, of total market opportunity. So you know, I don't know. You you actually wrote an interesting post back to this, and and so I have some thoughts and opinions. I'll, I'll let you kick it off because I'm kind of curious on your thoughts. Right, you you were in the space before of wanting to grow a business, and have recently, within the last year, pivoted to wanting to be on the venture funded side. And so maybe you can share the pros and cons of each side. And I've got a list too. <laughs> um, so like uh, if you were to ask me a year and a half ago, was I going to raise money? The answer was probably no. We have a business model that teaches college students how to sell apparel on college campuses. That's it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and Bruce, you and I had talked about raising money, raising money. And when we looked at like the total dressable market of just, you know, the Greek system and all that, um, an investor needs to make a return. And there would have to be a lot of legwork to just make it in the fraternity and sorority space, right? It mm-hmm. just didn't seem like it was it could it could pop as hard as we wanted. So I decided to actually hold. Um, now, when you take on an investment, you can take on an investment from, like Bruce said, your your family, right? Um, in exchange for equity or repayment, right? And if if they're a, a family or friend. They probably don't think you're going to sell the company. They hope to get like dividends or something like that or distributions, right? So everyone started either, you know, taking a loan from a bank, starting with their own capital, something. There was some sort of infusion of cash. And what we're doing on a larger scale is no different. It's obviously got more complexities. Um, but in a, for us to enable ourselves to grow, you know, I can't exhaust all the lines of credit and take on a, an enormous amount of debt. That's just not smart. And no bank would ever do that, right? This isn't real estate. And so uh, by taking on that funding, it's going to accelerate our technology and our platform to get it to a point where it can either provide distributions, dividends, or be acquired um, or be super profitable. Yeah. So, so, you know, when we were able to sell work with college athletes, that's just like opened our total addressable market like crazy, right? It, it actually, it made it huge. Um, and so that's, that's why we did it. VCs are not vultures. <laughs> Everyone thinks like vultures and no, they are extremely successful, very intelligent individuals that look at business a little bit differently than you and I do, right? They look at enterprise value. 
um, and they are making a lot of smart investments on behalf of banks and other investors to give Mm -hmm. them a return. So like I saw one of the things in there that says like they're just vultures and they're just money hungry. I don't know, like we all want to make money, but it's not to say they want to put you to the side and make you roadkill. I mean, Bruce, you work with work with PSG and Blue Star all the time. What's that like? You know, well, uh, let me go back uh, really quick because I think um, <laughs> there's something to, to understand, too, that I think is interesting around the perspective side. Um there is absolutely venture capitalists out there that are not good people that that definitely but that's the same thing as there's bad shop owners there you know everything bad customers everything in between that are also money hungry and 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 don't help contribute to the space and help push it forward um I think there's a lot of shops out there though that buy other businesses which is a, a form of PE uh, in that you're buying private equity, you're buying it in a business to help grow your business in one way or the other. Um, it could be equipment, it could be trying to garner sales, it could be garner contacts, right, to be able to grow whatever it is. So that that's an interesting way, right? And and the reason is is because it 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 moves you forward faster. Sure, you could go out and if you wanted to start a shop, you could go out and 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 go buy equipment uh, off a dealer or used online or or whatever. And then you could hire a team and then you could start to build up your market and, and start doing sales and all that good stuff. Or what if you cut out two years of that and bought an existing shop to help you get going faster? Now, both are going to have their pros and cons and... That's though the the premise that that I start thinking about now having learned a little bit more about this and that, oh wow, okay, so I could speed up the time and just reduce overall stress by having a foundational um, element to launch off of, which I think a lot of times is honestly a team because it takes so long to get some sort of basic team foundation to be able to scale onto. Um, and I think that's one of the 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 big things of of pros in that, when they want to invest, just like when you buy that shop and you put in, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, half a million dollars, whatever it is, you want to return on those dollars. Because when you think about it, if I would put a hundred thousand dollars into this business, the thought process is, what if I put a hundred thousand dollars into my business or into the market or something like you should be getting a better return by putting that money there. So that's, I think one of the big pros of it in, in just that you can launch forward Ideally, less stress to be able to 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 scale a bit quicker, and create more value, enterprise business value, faster, um, and then also be able to try to gain more experience quicker too. So, I think that goes both ways. Again, if uh, uh, you know you're raising money, that helps bring in some of the experience from people who have been there, done that, are exposed to another 20 companies that they've also invested in, can make the connections for you, can be able to, you know, um, help connect you to somebody in finance or procurement, whatever, to be able to, to, to think about the business in a better way. The flip side of it is that for sure, there's a lot more things that get organized and we have them here too at Printavo and that A, 
um, I call it, we're, we are professionalizing right now where it's like, we have goals, we have monthly quotas and goals that we have to set and that we need to hit and that we need to be able to grow into. Um, we're hiring all managers in all different departments to make sure every department is truly professionalized. We're creating process in every department, right? And so that actually runs on a wheel. And, and, and so we don't, you know, fall off that wheel if one person leaves. Um, that growth and the reason I put this in a in a in a con, which maybe it's also a pro too, but it it's painful. Like I mean, there's just it's different. It's it's like whoa, holy cow! There's so much of this stuff happening. We're implementing new systems. We're we're doing all this stuff. We've got like a strong budget. Like can spend this, can't spend that. Um, definitely painful. Um, and then. Uh, um, you know, you, I think a con also is you're also selling a portion of your business, right? So, um, it's not a hundred percent yours and maybe 80%, maybe if you have to keep raising at 60%, whatever it is, but there is an aspect of that trade-off. Don't you feel, don't you feel Bruce? And this is what I talked to like Kevin Baumgart, our sales coach about mm -hmm. is like venture capitalist funding allows you to do what you ought to do. Like what you should totally. be doing. It accelerated right? it. Like, but it also, like you said, when I work with um, the guys at Mark's team, they've done this 50 times over. They've seen red flags. They've seen companies fail. Yeah. They've seen good. They've seen bad. They've seen good culture. They've seen everything. And I'm just hearing from their war stories and they're just like, hey, watch out for this. I don't think they necessarily in VC, they're saying you have to do this. They're kind of like your your trainer at the gym. That's like, if you want to do this, this is this is how you will be strong, and this is how a budget works. And it's the stuff. And and you know, a lot of them have MBAs from really great schools and and have done this before. So it's like it's kind of like having the best of the best trainers in your court if you pick them correctly. Right? Totally. And I think that's that's on the founder to do is to make sure they're vetted, make sure you believe what they believe, your thesis is like on point. Um, because you know, if you're just desperate for money, you can take money from, from, from crappy investors for sure. You know what's interesting is, look, I, I, I bootstrapped Printavo for 10 years and I was very, I, to be honest, I was very against um, outside funding for a long time until I think I started to fully understand what it helped do. Just because I don't think I fully understood it, uh, if I'm honest. And what I started to realize is one of the reasons why other industries progress so much more is because of additional funding to help accelerate. Look at, at people that are using Monday.com. You know, guess how much they raised? I'm, you know, let me pull it up actually, so I can. Be <laughs> Because I have a guess, um, but I just don't want to do public math here. On uh, um, I'm gonna guess and say they raised. Oh shit! Oops, I already said it. Three hundred and eighty million dollars. Now, that is an insane amount. But guess how much awesome technology that they've. I mean, I'll be honest. That tool's incredible, right? And it's so powerful. It's got automation. It's got blah 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 blah. You know, Uber, Airbnb, all these things. Can you imagine if? If some of these firms dumped money into our space on the press manufacturing side or or more even on the software side, right? To 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 like help push everything forward. 
um, or more on uh, distribution or like other areas. I, I think there's a lot more pros that would happen that sure will be uncomfortable, but will help push our space forward. I mean, everybody talks about it. Yeah, we're so behind. We're five years behind. We're still on paper. We're, we're I wish the press did this. I mean, this is a cool opportunity. I think that, that that's where some of this money comes from or can help with. And I think if we look 10 years ago, that was 2012. Uh, Uber did not exist or was just starting. Snapchat was just starting. DoorDash, Grubhub, Instacart, right? The daily things, Monday.com, Asana, Notion, um, all of these different things. They started in a four by four cubicle with a couple people in a pitch deck just trying to bootstrap, you know? And so what's funny is like we expect the world to just work like that, but we don't know the pain that Airbnb went through or, you know, all of these companies. Um, and it's crazy. I love listening to How I Built This by Guy Raz. I don't know if you listen to it, Bruce. Yeah, um, not always, but, but definitely it, sometimes. It goes through like when they were running out of money and, and, and all that kind of stuff. That's just a route that some companies choose to take. It's not for everyone, nonetheless. I think, Bruce, what's interesting, though, is our personal community coming out of U of I, that was pretty common for students to drop out of school and move move to Silicon Valley, right? Like, how many friends do you know that have raised money, are in VC, are in tech, like, I don't know, couch surfers? I think the other thing that – I think you, you bring up two good points. Number one, uh, it isn't for everybody. And, in fact, there's some statistic that I think it's less than 5% ever um, – sell a portion of their company to, to raise funds. So it's very, very small. Um, and I think there's also a big pro in, in that keeping the trajectory of it being owned by the owner and that you can totally control it and you can eventually try to get to a status where you're just cash flowing really well and, and it supports your lifestyle. Um, and, uh, but the flip side is, I would caught or I, I would push folks to learn more about it instead of the immediate trigger of no. And that how can it help provide innovation to us, to our industry, um, to what we spend time on every day to help everybody grow together. And I don't know. I, I think there could be some interesting things that'll I, I think what's us. interesting, Bruce, is like, okay, I'm in, this is my eighth year. Some of the like leaders in our space, right? Call it like Brett at Printed Threads, or Eric at Night Owl, Justin at Oklahoma. Look at what they were doing seven, eight years ago and look at what they're doing now, right? With Made Labs or with Waterbase Camp uh, or with, you know, figuring out how to get into other businesses. We saw Justin's tour of Oklahoma Shirt Company and he's got um, satellite shops. He's got disc golf. He's got a tattoo parlor. <laughs> um, it's interesting to watch as people transition into the next step in business. And I think that's that's this overall commotion right now is what's next, meaning do I want to own Campus Inc. until I'm, you know, 50 and retire here and, and have it? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I think we're all starting to think about what's next and what's next means the word exit. And so like, I wonder if we were to ask shops right now, have you thought about what you're going to do? Like, what's your exit? What's your exit strategy, right? Like eventually you want to retire. Are you going to be tied to your shop where someone comes in and goes, I'm not buying that. 
um, it's not worth anything, right? Or are you going to have a business that runs itself, that's nicely packaged, that's profitable, that you can pass off, sell, retire with, uh, cash flow? I think that the word exit is what's becoming more and more relevant as people start to say, like, look around and be like, wait, what is my next plan? I don't think small business owners think about the exit. Do you think so? That's that's interesting because you bring up exit is also passing down too. Um, and whereas exit historically is like a very like, okay, how am I selling? But it totally is whatever you want it to be. You know, it's funny you bring that up. I So there's this video, um, I'll link to it down below. It was with Rob Dyrdek. Uh, if you kind of grew up in the skateboarding space or I guess watch MTV ridiculousness now, that's all it's on. Um, and his whole thing, he, he made this video that I watched a couple of times. His whole thing is called start at the end mentality. Let me read you this real quick. So the end mentality is after going through all of these different business ups and downs, and, and he did a lot of different industries was in food and real estate and all this stuff. The way he invests and starts new businesses now is he starts with the end mentality. And what his whole thought process is, is that we get stuck in day-to-day -day treading water um, when we don't fully understand where we want to be able to go and what we want to create, right? And so at first, it's that first phase of the business where it's, it, it, you just have to push through. It's like you're just, you're pushing against a wall and you're moving it very slowly for a couple of years to be able to get it going. Then you're in the phase where you have a team helping and you're still sort of pushing against that wall to move it forward. And a lot of us get stuck. I mean, we talk about this all the time with delegation, with hiring managers and so on and so on. Then um, the question is, is that what is your end look like? Like, what do you want to do with the company? What role do you want to be in? What do you want to spend time on? What do you care about? Is it is it production and you love the art of the space? Do you love the sales of the uh, of this space? Like, what role is it? And then how do you be able to, like, nobody wants to work a 12-hour day, no AC in a warehouse, you know, for, for 20, 30 years. Um, because honestly, if you had that, it's just not the greatest business and it isn't scalable long-term. So if you look at the goal of where you want to be able to go and then how do you be able to back into that to be able to get to that role? So if you love the art, right, then how do you hire somebody that's the the operator or CEO or somebody to be able to help run the business as a whole or the flip side or if you, you're more on the sales or if you're looking for uh, an, uh, an actual exit to sell it, or if you want to pass it down to your kids and you, you want it to basically run on its own, what does that look like? And then how do you back into it? Um, and it was interesting thinking about that because, I don't know, have you ever just like stared at a wall for like three hours to, to really think about it and, and like back into it? I think I think about it later on. Like I think about lifestyle uh, mm -hmm. and I think about like what brings me joy. Um, but did you do that when you were kind of like starting no. to burn out a little bit? And then I feel like I started to do that when I was like, man, I'm getting a little tired. Like I, I just all these hours and jumping around doing 30 things. Yeah, I think that probably a couple of years ago, those feelings start to weigh and you're like, OK, what's next? What do I got to do? And so. Uh, yeah, I've definitely stared at a wall. 
<laughs> um, I've stared at my calendar. I've had those days. I, I think when we're younger, we think we've got this Superman complex where it's like, I'll be able to do this and jet set everywhere and go to, and then at some point you're like, wait a second, is that what brings me joy? Right. Is this what I want my life to be like? Um, you know, uh, and I think you quickly learn, okay, now you start solving for what I actually like to do. Um, and that might be coming into the shop and running a nice clean business every day that, that for some people that might, that's, that's what it be. It might be for me. I think my business like overdefined me or I was like too attached to it. Um, and that's just not healthy for like long-term, long-term happiness and joy. So like I have to create a little bit of separation there, um, to be able to detach from it. Um, and make sure it doesn't define me in that, you know, um, I can, I can do other things, you know? So I don't know. Um, what about you, Bruce? Like when I tell people like you got acquired, people are like, he would never do that. Was that hard for you to let go a little bit? No, it was definitely very hard to let go. Um, and I questioned it a lot, um, especially going through the process. I think though, that's, I didn't use this thought process, which I hope to use in the future with this start with why to, to actually plan out things a little bit longer term. Whereas I think a lot of us just think about the next week and staying afloat. Um, and like, how do I just get through the next couple of days? But like, what, what is the longer term vision? Like, what, what do I see this going in the next year? I, I don't know. I used to I used to be very against setting goals and longer term thoughts because it felt like well then maybe you miss opportunities right in front of you or honestly as a business owner you are just fighting fires constantly but I think that was a disservice um because it didn't help align the team and it didn't help align my thoughts longer term it was like okay let's just build the best software possible I get that but where do we want to be more specifically and shit, honestly, that goes back to that traction book of of like they you're actually supposed to spend the time like in ten years. What does the company actually look like? Anyway, we went over a lot here, of topics today. Here we are. This is cool. <laughs> I like this. This this was great. DTF, NIL, and venture capitalist, the Wild West. We have a couple <laughs> others, but we'll save these. Uh, we'll save these. Here what What are some of the other ones you want to talk about in the future, Bruce? Um, we've got email marketing here. I think. You brought this up, which is, it's such a low hanging fruit for, uh, it's almost free, honestly. I mean, some of these tools are free up to X contacts or something, but how to use email marketing, um, some basics and some lessons learned, I think we could just share. And then I'm curious to chat about economy stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. as that's all that's on the news now, which, uh, a little scary, but you know, I guess that's why you're not supposed to watch the news actively, huh? For another day. This is good. We'll <laughs> have to right. do this again. Thanks for now. Appreciate listening. Bruce from Printavo, Stephen Fair, got a Campus Inc. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Mm-hmm.